Hello, Docs of Church. Um, if you are tuning in online, hey, glad to have you here with us. Um, pull out your Bible and turn to Genesis 12. Uh, if you got a Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, I'm just going to turn a few pages into Genesis 12. Um, we're kind of in the, the last section of the first part of our, our series through Genesis. We're going to take a break for a while. We're going to actually do a Christmas series. We're going to do another series. We'll probably come back to this at some point uh, in, in the life of Docs the next couple of years. But this is the last week in Genesis for a little while, and we're in Genesis 12, okay? So this is the context of this passage. God created everything. It's really good. We really messed it up, okay? We really messed it up. Even following the story, things get pretty dark. Humanity is lost and actually spread out over all the earth. Like the Tower of Babel last week, right? God kind of like has to bring in, change their languages, spreads them everywhere. And then God speaks to one man in this chapter named Abram, and God's gonna make a covenant with him. And the covenant that we see in Genesis 12 is going to literally kind of change, not just the kind of the trajectory of the story, it's been going down, it's gonna start going up, story of redemption, but it's gonna change the entire course of human history, forever. So Genesis 12. This is Abram, son of Terah. Genesis 12 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will dishonor those or those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of earth shall be blessed. Because this is like these, this, this call, this promise, this purpose he's infusing into Abraham's life through this kind of covenantal language. And then in verse four, it just says this. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Okay, Abraham's story is gonna continue, but we're just gonna cut it off right there. There's so much that happens after this story, but this is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. This is kind of the beginning of the story of God in the middle of all these people groups, all these people, he's gonna start his family, the family of God, the people of God. And he chooses Abraham. And so I just want us to remember like the context of the story of the Bible that this is within, right? You have a loving creator. You have people scattered over the entire face of the earth. They're, they're lost in darkness, separated from God, literally like stumbling around in the dark. But because of their sin, this thing that has infected them, they're stumbling towards death. And as the rest of the Bible unfolds, we're told that sin hasn't just brought about kind of a momentary death, but sin actually brings with it a trajectory, an eternal trajectory. Because we're created in the image of God, it means that heaven and hell are not just kind of maybe destinations, but they're like eternal trajectories. They're forever realities. And so what this means, not just kind of we've been studying this in the Bible, I'm just kind of catching you guys up. This is what Genesis is saying, but the rest of the story of the Bible makes clear is that humanity is on two paths. Either one path, where they will spend, either will spend eternity becoming conformed more and more into the image of God, more and more into the human beings God created them to be, kind of forever undergoing this expansion of themselves within the presence and the light and the glory of God, or we will be on a different path, a path that leads to eternity being deformed and distorted and diminished more and more into the image of our sin. A path where we will actually wander further from our humanity, further from ourselves, and become more and more unrecognizable as we wander further into the darkness of our own desire for self-glory. The beginning of the Bible says these are kind of the two paths. 
One is a path towards God. One is a path away from God. And they kind of have no end. And because of the curse that sin has brought into this world, because of sin, everyone is now separated from God. And sin has not just infected part of us, but it's infected us to the core of who we are. The Bible makes it very clear that this promise that that God speaks into Genesis 12, the context of this is that right now everyone is on the second path. Everyone's lost. Everyone's lost in the darkness. And Romans 3 says it like this. It just says, it's kind of looking at just the state of the world before God acts into it. And it just says, the state of the world is this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside and together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. <laughs> it's like, we're like, well, maybe one. He's like, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you're like, that's a really big problem. Then you get to Romans 6.23 and it says, and the wages of that is death. And it's in this moment, like honestly, this like really heavy, weighty darkness. And if you've, if you've read Genesis 1 through 11 with us, but kind of following along, this is a dark part of the Bible. It's a story of sin unfolding, just this downward spiral into destruction for all of humanity. It's in this darkness God begins to unfold his plan for redemption. (laughs) I love this passage of the Bible because it's so unlikely. Like it's so unlikely and it is so incredible to me that what God does, the way he starts his story of redemption, is he goes out in the midst of all these people, all broken, all sinful, all total failures, all just like us, right? And what he does is he picks one man named Abram. And eventually there's going to be named, named Abraham. You'll know him as Father Abraham. We have a song and a dance. And uh, he makes a covenant with him. And he chooses that out of every single person in the world, he's going to bless him. The whole world is cursed, but Abraham, because of my words and my promises and my choosing of you, you are going to be blessed. And he will call Abraham to leave behind his previous existence and become joined to him. And that Abraham and his family would actually be God's chosen people forever. And he makes promises to him, promises to bless him and make his name great, make him into a great nation. He promises to provide for him and protect for him and to protect him. And he makes these promises to him and he explains that the purpose of these promises, the purpose of this call on his life, he is going to be blessed. Why? It tells us, so that he might be a blessing. And actually through this man and his family so that all the nations of the world will be blessed. This call on Abraham's life, this covenant promises and this invitation of saying, Abraham, I will do this. Go, follow me. And as the story continues, Abraham will go. He believes the promise. Abraham will be given a child as promised. He'll be given a family and God will be with his family. And actually the whole story of the Old Testament is about this dude's family and like what God is doing in his family and through his family. And as the people of God continues to grow and expand, you see God fulfilling his promises. He rescues them from all their enemies, but also he at time and time again rescues them from themselves. There even be moments of severe judgment or God's people will kind of wander off the path and God will be forced to exile them. But through it all, God's promises stand. They do not waver. And eventually, through the family of Abraham, eventually the nation of Israel will come about. All of Israel will be unfaithful and they will fail to uphold their side of the covenant. But God's promises will not fail because something even more unlikely will happen through this man, Abraham, and his family. Eventually, 
God himself will be born into this family as a human being. Jesus will be born in the city of Bethlehem, in the line of David, in the line of Judah, in the line of Jacob, in the line of Isaac, son of Abraham. And Jesus has come to bring blessing to every corner of this world. And all those who are called to his name. Yeah, amen. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. It's awesome. Through Jesus' sacrifice, death, and resurrection, he's actually going to do this thing where he's going to take this covenant promise to Abraham and his family, and he's actually going to extend it. The call and blessing to be part of the family of God, to receive eternal life instead of eternal death, he is going to extend that to everyone. All the nations of the world. He's going to extend that call for any who want to come to come. So that in Christ, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Church, that is you. We are the nations. Like, we have to translate this thing to read it, right? It's written in Hebrew. This is not a promise that was originally given to us, but we are actually the recipients of this promise that one day the blessing that he's giving Abraham will extend to places even as far as Madison, Wisconsin to a people as weird and wild and different as we are from this guy. And the blessing's here. We are receiving that blessing even today. All the families of earth will be blessed. You are evident that the promises of God are true, right? We don't have to question that. We look at Revelation and we go, is this gonna happen? And we have promises and this vision that yes, one day it's gonna happen, but you also have your own life. Do you realize how crazy it is that you believe in Jesus if you do? You're so far from this man, wandering around in tents in the Middle East. But the promise of God has come to you. The blessing of God has come to you. And so here's the question I want to answer. What does it mean that we now in Madison are part of the family of God? Because the calling and the blessings and the promises and the purposes that are bestowed on Abraham are also bestowed on you. And so what does it mean to be part of the family of God? What defines this group of people? Well, I think one of the things we can do is just look at the very beginning. Well, what defined this from the beginning? It will help us understand what it means for us now to follow Jesus. So Genesis 12, 1 says this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, one of the very first things we learn from this passage, okay, is the heart of God. God is on a mission to rescue who? Yeah, me, me. But here's the thing, it's not just Abraham, right? Because Abraham, he's like, this is for you, Abraham. Who's he after in the end? All the families, all his people. He, he's not like thinking, this is just for you. He's thinking, no, so that I will actually bless all the families of earth. He chooses to bless individual people so that the blessing will flow from them to those around them, even those far from them. And actually through the entire story of the Bible, we see that the center of God's heart is not judgment. It's not justice for sin. Those are part of his heart because he is a God of justice. But the center of his heart is what? Grace, redemption, salvation, rescue. This is his heart. And one of the things we learn in this chapter is that from the very beginning, this is also what the family of God is about. For the family of God is totally about. To be in the family of God is to be rescued by God. 
this is the call of God. This is like, this is the call from whoever's on stage, like opening this Bible. Like that is the call of Jesus Christ. Be redeemed, be rescued, be restored to God. That is the good news of the gospel. That is free for anyone. Take hold of that, believe it. Be rescued. Join the family of God. But intertwined in that call is also the call to be part of God's rescue mission to the rest of the world. These aren't two separate invitations. They're the exact same one. Not just be part of it, but to grab hold of it as actually the defining reality of your life. I know a lot of people who follow Jesus and they're like, I know that one thing I'm supposed to do is is also kind of help rescue people. No, no, no. He's saying, this is what defines you as my child, Abraham. And not just him, but all people who will be called into the family of God, okay? So a radical call, a radical promise, a radical purpose. I wanted to show you all these things in the text because honestly, this is one of the texts that has really shaped my life and following Jesus, okay? You might have a, a section in your Bible here called the call of Abraham. Does anyone have that? It just says the call of Abraham. Okay, so that's where we're starting. It's, it's a call. It's, it's more than an invitation, right? He's not really giving him an option. He's like, hey, he doesn't say, if you wanna do this, do it. He just says, hey, go, <laughs> do this thing. Look, it says in verse 12, one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. So the call of Abraham is a call to go from something to something. Now I want you to look closely at this because honestly what he says is, is kind of amazing. He, he says, go from your country, your kindred and your father's house. So go from some very significant things, where? To a land I will show you, <laughs> right? Like, he doesn't say where. He just is like, to a land I will show you. And you're like, but where is the place? He's like, oh, just follow me. You'll eventually get there. Don't worry about it. This is a radical call. And I want us to just stop and notice this because one of the things we do in America is we take the call of God and we want to make it a really soft, palatable, easy thing. And so we just say, oh, no, no, this is like really easy. It's really easy to be a Christian. No, this is radical. Go from your country. For all we know, these are the very first words that God has ever spoken to Abraham. Very first thing he says, go from your country, meaning leave your place, your comforts, your foods, your languages. Go from your family. Like we we think of this and like we're kind of individualistic like in the West. Like we think of family as like important, not that important. It's unbelievably important for this time and place. He's saying leave behind your lineage, your identity, your group, your people. Go from your father's house means leave your place of shelter, refuge, safety, provision, inheritance. To what? A land. Where is it? What it's like? What is there? It's the land I will show you. In other words, the call of Abraham is not to leave one place for another, but the call of Abraham and actually the call that defines those who are called into the family of God is a call to leave every identity and place that someone has in the world so that they can follow God into a completely new existence and reality. It's not just a different place. It's saying cut yourself off from everything that previously defined you because to be called into my family is to be defined by one single thing, me. Abraham is told simply, go to the land that I will show you. The land's not the important thing. The important thing is that I'm going to lead you there. And when Jesus shows up in the flesh, he says it even more simply than this. He just looks at people and he says, hey, follow me. And they're like, where? He's like, follow me. 
And so they, they follow him, right? And like, this isn't it an abstract idea for Abraham, right? Because we make this really abstract. We're like, well, in my heart, do I want to follow God? But I want you to see, even with Abraham, he wasn't saying, Abraham, get your heart right before me. He gave him an actual tangible command. He said, Abraham, go to this place I'm gonna show you. And he actually had to go. And Jesus, the command to follow him wasn't abstract either. The disciples literally had to drop their nets, say goodbye to their father and leave their boat because Jesus was leaving. <laughs> it's like, do you wanna follow me or not? It's not hard to figure that out. It's like, well, there he goes. And you're like, well, okay, I guess I'm gonna go, right? And to follow Jesus literally meant to leave behind the things that previously defined you. And one of the things that I've learned being a Christian in America, I learned this before I was a Christian when I was just kind of in the church, but I didn't, under, I didn't understand how to follow Jesus. I wasn't a Christian. And I've actually become like more convinced of this now that I am a Christian in the American church. One of the things I've noticed is that one of the things that makes it so hard, actually impossible for many American Christians to follow Jesus is we try to sidestep this first command of God, the first part of the call, and then try really hard to do the second. It's like Abraham's like staying in his land with his dad in this place, and he's like, oh, I wanna follow you so bad, it's just so hard because I can't leave. The first part of the call is to cut yourself off from every single other defining reality about your life so that you can follow God wherever and whenever and to whoever he calls you. American Christians, we say things like this. I will follow you, Jesus, but this is my career that I went through a lot of schooling to get. Um, and so whatever you want me to do, I'm totally in as long as it has something to do with this because I have to do this. This is my calling. I will follow you, Jesus, but this is my retirement fund, and I've already kind of laid out a 20-year plan of how we're going to spend the money and how much we need to kind of allocate to this, and so I'm going to follow you as long as it doesn't mean changing that, because this is kind of my calling and my plan for my life. I will follow you, Jesus, but this is the house we just remodeled. We spent a bunch of time on it and creative energy, and, and we know that you were a carpenter for a while, right? And so, like, this is also a really good thing to spend our time in, like, and it is, right? That's a good thing to spend our time on, and also our kids are really comfortable in their classroom and their friend groups, and so we want to follow you as long as we don't have to uproot and leave and go anywhere. I will follow you, Jesus, but this is just a small sin that it's really kind of, it's a small sin, it's tiny, and it's really just like a comfort mechanism for me, but, and so I can't let this go but I'll let go everything else, but I need to keep this one thing. The call of God to sinners is not a comfortable and soft invitation. And, and honestly, it's not even an invitation at all. It is a radical and authoritative call from the king of the universe to his creature that encompasses all of you. And when I talk like this, people all the time, they say, David, you're being dramatic. And I wanna say, no, I've just read the New Testament and it's what Jesus says. This is what he says to the young ruler who comes up to him and he says, Jesus, I want to inherit the kingdom of God. What must I do? He says, well, you love God, you love people, right? Kind of the two, two commands. And he's like, man, I've done all of these for my youth. I've actually done like a really good job following the rules. And then Jesus looks at him this person who wants to follow him, wants to inherit the kingdom of God, says, here's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and follow me. And this person that Jesus says this to, he walks away from the call of God, sad. He does the opposite thing Abraham does. He walks away. 
And it says that he did this because he had many possessions. And we read this story, and I have heard many people say something exactly like this. Whoa, I'm glad that God has never told me that. (laughs) Right? Because we're like, that would be really hard. Like, it's one thing for Jesus to be like, hey, believe in me intellectually. Maybe tell some, a couple people at work about me. And, you know, like, when you're feeling really generous, uh, give some money to the church, right? That's not what he says to this man. Sell everything. Follow me. And we look at this and we go, I'm glad Jesus had never told me that. I'm glad Jesus had never drawn a line in the sand and said, in order to follow me, you actually have to do this really hard thing. But do you know what it says about Jesus right before he said this to the man? It says that he looked at him and he loved him. This command, this call to give up everything and follow me This is what the love of God sounds like to those who are on the path to destruction. It's what the call of God into the path of eternal life sounds like for those who are lost in darkness. And not just in this man's life, but in the life of Abraham and in the life of everyone who is called into the family of God. Because this is what the call of God sounds like. It may have different like words, like he might not tell you go to this land, but he's going to tell you to give up everything that previously defined you. That is what the call of God is. It is radical. Give up everything and follow me. This is how Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a a pastor in Germany, says it like this. He says this, the first step which follows the call, what it does is it actually cuts the disciple off from his previous existence. The call to follow at once produces a new situation. To stay in the old situation makes discipleship impossible. One would have thought that nothing so drastic was necessary at such an early stage. But since he is the Christ, he must make it clear from the very beginning that his word is not an abstract doctrine but it is the recreation of the whole life of man the only right and proper way is quite literally to go with Jesus the call to follow like the specific call to follow implies that there is only one real way of believing in Jesus Christ and that is by leaving all and going with the incarnate son of God he's saying in the gospels The very first step that one must take is a step which radically affects his whole existence. It is a radical call. Now, why would anyone take a step like that? Like, why would Abraham do that? Well, the first reason is because when the king of the universe summons you to do something, you go. This isn't a person who's saying this. This is God. This is the glorious one. This is the one who's so holy that there are literally creatures whose entire job is just to like look through their wings at him and then like be like, holy, 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 holy. And they do it again, holy, 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 holy. They've done that literally from when they were created and they will do it forever. That is the weight of the glory of God. And when he summons you to do something, you go. But it's more than that. Because to be invited into the family of God is not just to be given a call, it's to be given a promise. 
Right? That's what's happening here. God is promising to Abram so many things. He's saying, I will be with you. I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. He's saying, Abraham, I'm going to be on your team. I'm gonna, you're going to be my guy. Like someone has beef with you, like I got it. Like I'm God. I can literally just end them in the way I brought them into existence. Like, I'm on your team, Abraham, and I want to bless you. And the final thing he's saying, this promise, he's saying, I want to actually not just bless you, but I want to bless all the families of the earth through you. I want to bestow so much honor and blessing on your life and on your family so they would literally expend and like overflow to the ends of the earth. And I'm not telling you how this will happen. I'm not giving you the full picture. I'm inviting you to have faith in me and trust me. And if you do, I will change the world. Do you know what the promises of God are for you? The Bible's filled with them. So many. I, I literally had like a, a whole page of the promise of God. Had to get rid of it. Don't have enough time. But the whole Bible's filled with the promises of God. And how do you know if you trust in the promises of God? Well, how did you know if Abraham did? Well, it was very simple. He would either obey or he wouldn't. If, if he obeyed, it means he trusted in the promise of God. He believed. Oh, you're going to do that? Okay, I'll go. How do you know if he had faith? Well, he would go or he would not. It's very simple. If you want to know what someone believes, it's actually not as helpful to look at what they say. It's way more important to look at what they do. Right? Because the life you live exemplifies and demonstrates what you actually believe to be true. This is what Paul and James both say about Abram's actions. They said that Abraham wasn't building up some kind of good works for himself. He's just saying that like his faith came in like this kind of structure of just like following, following God, right? He's responding to God's call with faith, belief, and trust. And it came of a form of obedience to the call. He believed the promises of God, so he went. My question is this. What is God calling you What's he calling you to? There are many calls in the Bible to all Christians, right? Go, make disciples of all nations. Love everyone in the way Christ loves you. There's many calls on our lives and those are really important things. Like get those into your skin, into your soul and be like, I wanna follow this. But what is he specifically saying to you? What, do you, what is he calling you to do there's this moment at the very end of the story like with with Peter and he's like telling Peter hey Peter follow me into this really really hard thing that's just for you and he's like okay but what about that guy right <laughs> he points over at John he's like what about him and he's like don't worry about him you follow me what's God calling you to do And there's another question. What would change in our lives if we actually believed in the promises of God? Because I think if we're honest, most of us, we like believe in the promises of God a little bit. And our lives look like we believe in the promises of God a little bit. And luckily for us, <laughs> our salvation doesn't rest in how much we believe in the promises of God, but just in we have faith at all in them, right? You can have a tiny bit of faith in Jesus, but that tiny bit of faith produces salvation. Why? Because Jesus has a lot of grace. So you need faith in the right person. But what would change in our lives if we actually believed with the full force of our heart and soul and the promises of God? What would change in our lives? And maybe even a bigger question is, what would change in our world if Christians believed in the promises of God? 
This is hard for me to talk about because I honestly get emotional every time I talk about this. But today, I just looked up this morning, 3.23 billion people are in what is considered an unreached people group. And so you don't know what an unreached people group is. Basically, they're like different, they segment people into groups, right? Different languages, cultures, kind of ethnicities, families. And it's just a, a people group is like some group of people that basically have a lot of things to do with each other. And it's very hard to transfer over to other groups from them. And, and there's 3.23 billion people who live in a group of people like that that are unreached. And what unreached means is that they have essentially zero access to the message of Jesus Christ at all. And they have essentially no access to any kind of community of believers or a church. So fundamentally what it means is that 3.23 billion people live, live in complete and utter darkness with no presentation of the light of the gospel of the glory of God at all. So much so that to be one of these 3.23 billion people, almost half the entire population of planet earth means that you will be born, you will live, and you will die without ever hearing even one single time that there is a creator who loves you, and not only that he loves you, but he actually died for your sins so that you could be taken out of the darkness and into the light. And you'd be taken off of the path that will lead to your final destruction and be put onto the path that will lead to your final wholeness and life in the presence of God. I believe with my entire heart that if God's people believed his promises, there would be way less people in that category. As I've looked at my own life, but also just the rest of God's people in America, one of the things I've come to the conclusion of is that we're really good at receiving the blessing of God in our lives, right? Lord, rain it down. Bring the blessing. You know what American Christians are really bad at doing? being a blessing to the world around us. We're not just bad at that when you walk by the person in desperate need and you like withhold money from them. We're bad at that in the sense that there's 3.23 billion people who have never heard of the name of Jesus. That's stunning. I remember when we I lived in Iowa City, and as things were starting to kind of shift for me there, I used to lead Salt Company there. It was, it was a super fun job. I love that place. I love that church. It's like it's really awesome believers in that city. And I remember as things started to shift for us there, and it felt like, okay, well, I'm not going to do this job anymore. And I felt like the thing that God began to kind of present to me, there began to be the, these initial callings from the Lord to me, hey, I want you to plant a church. And it was still like early on. And, and to be honest, when I first started to feel this, I was terrified. Not scared, terrified. I didn't want to do it. And I was telling the Lord this all the time. I was saying, I'm not ready. I'm not strong enough. I'm not a good enough leader. I, I don't want to fail. I'm scared. I remember driving home one day and I'm just talking to God as I begin to kind of feeling just the clarity of this calling start to weigh down on my life. I want you to plant a church. I was telling God, I can't do this. You've picked the wrong person. Please pick someone else. What if, what if no one goes with me? What if, what if this doesn't happen? What if I'm the wrong person? Like, I don't have what it takes. Please, I'm scared. And I was on North Dubuque Street in Iowa City driving up towards our house. And I remember, this doesn't happen to me all the time. It so rarely happened to me. But I remember in like a audible, powerful voice in my car. It was like God spoke through my fears and through my kind of like stiff arming him. And he just told me, I will be with you. 
I will be with you. And I, I pulled my car over. There's a lot of things that happened in that moment, honestly. <laughs> I was pretty emotional. Um, you know, God doesn't speak to us in that kind of clear way all the time, right? And when he does, it's powerful. And, and something changed in my heart in that moment that has continued to grow, but something changed where all of a sudden it was like that promise, I will be with you, that was enough. It was enough. It's like, you're saying that if I follow you in this, I'm gonna experience more of your presence? You're saying that if I follow you in this, like this, the, the thing that happens when you're in the presence of God, you just experience blessing in your life and not necessarily the kind of blessing the world looks at and says, this is worldly blessing, but just kind of spiritual blessing that sometimes looks like you are dying, but then in heaven, it looks like you're winning. You're saying that's gonna happen if I follow you? You're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be with you. The more radical the call of God is on your life, the more radical his promises will be to you. And actually, the more radical you follow Jesus with your life, the more radical the blessings you will experience in your life. And I don't just mean like if you follow Jesus and you give some money to the church, he's gonna put a bunch more money in your bank account. No, you might give away all your money and die broke and homeless on a cross like Jesus. But then when the world flips over, who's at the top of the kingdom of heaven? Jesus Christ. We don't need a word from the skies like Abraham got and you don't even need to have this moment of like kind of God speaking into your life like I had because the thing I heard was just something that Jesus had already told me in the Bible. It's the very last thing he says in Matthew 28. Notice how similar what God says to his people, us, is to how he speaks to Abraham. This is Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. These are the calls that define the people of God. Go to the land I will show you. Follow me. I'm gonna bless you so that you will be a blessing. Follow me, right, to the disciples. Why? And I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Your old existence, fisherman? No. What are you going to do now? You're going to be a fisher of men. Your whole life is no longer going to be about the thing you were doing. And you might even go in your boat and you might actually catch some fish from time to time. But the thing you're fundamentally going to be about is a fisher of men. You are going to be on my rescue mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That is the call to you. That is the call that is on everyone's life who's in the family of God. Why has God rescued us? It's because he loves us. It's because he loves us, because it gives him glory to save sinners through his blood, but he also rescued us so that he could use us and our lives and our stories and our names to bless the world around us and to rescue others. I want you to just think for a moment of Abraham, okay? Just go back, forget about us just for a moment. Think about Abraham. The whole world is covered in darkness. Everyone is on a trajectory to destruction. And out of everyone in the world, God speaks your name. He didn't say this to everyone. He said it to one guy. And he calls you. 
and he makes promises to you. And for some inextricable reason, he decides that out of all the people in the world, you are going to be the one and your family is going to be the family that he is going to uniquely bless. And he says that he is blessing you so that through your life, you might also be a blessing to all the rest of the people in the world. And can we just stop for a moment and just appreciate in Genesis 12, the unbelievable honor that God is bestowing on this man. There's nothing about him that's special. He is just like every single other person in the world. But God just dumps grace and honor, indescribable honor on his life. What else could a human life long for that he has not already been given him? So that literally 10 billion years from now, as the redeemed humanity of God is gathered around the throne, unbelievably glorious, unrecognizably glorious to what we currently are, this man Abraham, because he had faith and he followed the call of God, he will know for the entire rest of his life that in the grace and kindness of God, he chose to use him and his story to help make that happen. That for the forever future of God, God's people would not be known just as the sons and daughters of God, but they would literally be called the sons and daughters, the children of Abraham. That is stunning. That is not true for this part of the story. That is true for the final, final forever future of God, the amount of glory and honor that has been bestowed on this human life, Abram. That God would intertwine his plan of redemption with the life and story of this normal sinful man is unbelievable to me. But here's why it should change our lives. Because this moment with Abraham is just a foreshadowing of a new covenant that will come. A fuller covenant that will come. A fuller calling that he would give to someone who for some reason in the mind of God has even more privilege and is more special a calling to be even more known by him, someone that God would pull even closer to himself in their life, someone he would give an even greater calling and greater promises and greater purpose to. And do you know who that person is? It's actually you. It's you. The, the story of the New Testament makes it very clear that no matter who you are in this room, God is calling you to something that is more glorious and greater than the thing he called Abraham to. The covenant is better. The promises are better. The purpose is greater. There's more glory for those who have the spirit of God poured inside of them through their faith in Jesus Christ than there is for this man, Abraham. This is how 1 Peter 2.9 says it like this. It just says, but you but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why has God made you a people for his own possession? It is so that you could proclaim with your life and your money and your mouth and your story. Look at him. Look at him. He's stunning. He's amazing. It isn't just Abraham and his story that he's chosen to weave the story of redemption into. It's your story. 2 Corinthians 5, it says that the, for the love of Christ controls us. 
Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. Why? He died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake has died and was raised. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, excuse me. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God, he was doing this. Listen, he was reconciling the world to himself, the rescue. And then the very next thing it says is that he would give us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciled to the world himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but he was entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, this is the calling on your life, Christian. We are ambassadors for Christ. God himself, the king of the universe, making his appeal through us. You are being blessed and grace is being poured out over your life so that you would be able to be a blessing, not just to the people in your neighborhood, but literally to people who live in the far corners of the world. What does it mean to be in the family of God? It means to be called by God to leave everything in your life and to follow him. You don't know where he is leading you. You don't know what he is going to do with your life, but if you follow him, he promises that he will bless you. And not just with the blessings that he gave to Abraham, but he will bless you with all of the blessings of the firstborn son of God himself because it is Jesus Christ who calls your name. And 10 billion years from now, if you say yes to the calling and invitation of God on your life, you and Abraham and the entire rest of God's people will be able to stand back and look over a sea of God's redeemed humanity. And you will be able to stand with everyone else and say, look what God did. Look what he did. Look what he did through me. Jesus is the one who gets all the glory, but you know what he does? He goes, this is my story, my redemption, but I'm gonna use you to do it. You're gonna tell people my name. If you say yes to the call of God in your life, you will be able to stand back in that day and say, look what God did. Not just look what he did through this lamb who was slain, but look how he actually included me in the story. What a heavy and unbelievable grace and kindness Jesus has given us to play even a tiny role in the story. We would not just be called sons and daughters of God, but he would actually use our stories to rescue more people in that final story. This is my question. What more could a human life want than that? I'm serious. What more could you possibly want your life to be about than that? The story of the Bible, it's not filled with stories of great men and women, but it's filled with stories of really normal men and normal women, very sinful, flawed, ordinary people that God called to become something great through faith and following him. He's calling you by your name today to do something. 
I don't know what it is. But he's calling you to do something. Will you follow him? Not with your words, but with your life. Let's pray. Jesus, the New Testament looks back on Abraham and it encourages us to run hard after you like he did. And God, I feel encouraged by that because as we read the rest of the story, this guy's life is messed up. So much failure, so, so much sin. But God, you used him. And God, I pray that you would give us the same kind of faith that we would respond to the call you've given us in our lives the way Abraham did. God, I pray that you'd give us the same kind of response to the promises of God, that we would believe them. And God, I pray that you would infuse our lives with that same purpose and meaning. Jesus, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who's died on our behalf. Spirit, I pray that even as we sing songs to today in worship. God, I pray that you would just, through your spirit, you'd speak to us. God, we want to be called to follow you in really specific ways so that we can say yes. And Jesus, even if you want to call us away from some things, if you want to say, hey, sell everything you have in this area and follow me, Jesus, speak to us. Call us into greatness and promise and blessing. And we want to be a blessing, not just to those in our neighborhood. We want to be a blessing to the very ends of the earth. Jesus, the, the billions of people who are still in darkness, would you call us to go to them with your gospel and your name? Help us worship you this morning in your name. Amen.